Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on history.org. This is Behind the Scenes, where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. The early colonists spoke 18th century English, and it may be said that today's Virginians speak 21st century American. Historian Kathy Hellier is here with me now to talk more about how the centuries have changed the way we talk. How have they changed the way we talk? How do we talk? Well, um, first of all, there are a lot of words that we have now, of course, that they didn't have then. Things that we've invented, like the telephone and various modern inventions. We, if we're going to speak in the 18th century, we have to make sure that we cut those out of our vocabulary. That's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. What isn't so obvious is that there are probably more words in the 18th century typically used in conversation than we use today. Their word stock was much richer than our word stock is today in conversation. Well, it's not if we think about how we've dumbed down our language in terms of print and um, media. It's really a pretty limited vocabulary used. Um, For instance, words that we would normally reserve for formal writing, particularly descriptive and colorful verbs like, for example, reproach. When was the last time you used reproach in conversation? (laughs) Not very often, but that was a very common word. Um, And there were many other words that we would reserve for formal writing and um, that they were just part of their vocabulary. In the 18th century, people would um, call each other friend or neighbor, uh, things like that. Cousin, husband, wife, their relationship to each other was often expressed as a form of address, which we seldom do. We use things without thinking that come down to us from, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. A lot of these expressions that we just, that are just part of our idiom, they were actually used then. There are a lot of euphemisms that we don't use today. For instance, if you were going, if you were a lady who was going to go outside and use the necessary, you'd say, "I'm going out to see the gardener. I'm going out to pluck a rose," (laughs) which is highly unlikely in December. I have noticed that reading 18th-century writing can be a bit of a challenge since spelling was sort of the way you wanted it to be. No standardized spellings. Were there standardized pronunciations? Well, no, not really. I mean, uh, pronunciation would have been traditional. Mm -hmm. And if you think about accent as really just differences in pronunciation, if you look at the British Isles, there are multitudes of dialects, uh, multitudes of ways of pronouncing, particularly vowels. That's the big difference in, in how we pronounce things is the vowel sounds for the most part. American English kind of grows out of the fact that a a lot of people from a lot of different areas come together here. But American English and English English, British English, begin to differ substantially at the end of the 18th century when British people actually begin to make a conscious effort to change their pronunciation. And it's at that time, to get back to your question about standard pronunciation, that they begin to have the beginnings of what's now called received pronunciation. But you have people who came off the boat from any particular region in Great Britain yesterday. Um, people, There were many Scottish people here. You have 
a large population of African-American people who came perhaps recently from Africa or the West Indies, or they too may have been here for four generations or more. So when you were walking down the streets of Williamsburg, you would not have heard one dialect. You would have heard a multiplicity of voices and the way people sounded would not have necessarily been the same from one to the other. So at this time, people were becoming much more interested in speech as a way of delineating your status, making a difference between us and them. Um, before that, you know, people could delineate where they fell in society based on their material goods. But at this time, there was what we now call a consumer revolution. More people could, in, in, could afford more stuff. So you had people lower able to imitate people who were higher than they were in material goods. So there were other ways that people were developing to differentiate themselves from <clears throat> the great unwashed or, you know, those lower than them mm -hmm. in status. One way was manners, one way was speech. I'm still struggling with the fact that we use fewer words than did the 18th century mm -hmm. people. I would have bet almost anything that we had developed more words uh, as we went on, simply, uh, if nothing else, for technological reasons. Well, I think we have invented additional words. I'm not meaning to say that we, have, we, ha we don't use as many words, we, but we use very simple verbs in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, very simple verbs, very few of them. Our, our vocabulary that we use in conversation and in print media and in um, various other media, actually, um, for instance, television, is actually quite limited. Uh, in the uh, Colonial Williamsburg, the Journal of uh, Williamsburg, uh, there was an article which said that they're now doing additional research on African-American speech because they have learned things they didn't know and that African-Americans tended to sound more like the white colonists who were here than they did what we had always thought was the African-American dialect. Part of the reason that that field is changing so much is that the sources are changing. The linguists came out of the English department. <laughs> and so their primary, um, the originally their primary source group was literature. And there, of course, wasn't a lot of African-American voice in this period in literature. There was some, but a lot of it, um, slave narratives and so forth, very heavily edited for publication. There were some um, purported dialect published uh, in plays and in novels and so forth, but that's pretty much what they were going by. But as they have um, expanded their sources to include things that historians have used all along, things like court records, things like depositions in court where it's recorded what a person says, um, other types of things, that even some things that were actually written by African Americans in the 18th century because it wasn't against the law to teach African Americans to write then. So there are out there things that they've actually um, written, but those were not apparent to early linguists studying that because they were primarily concerned with literature and dialectology. Who set the standard for the day? 
Well, that's a very interesting question because there weren't a lot of standards. But as far as standard setting, what was correct, really, up until mm, probably the second quarter of the 18th century, people didn't care very much about standards because whereas we have rules about how um, this phrase will modify the noun that comes before it and you know so we can kind of decode what people are saying when we read a sentence if you read 17th century records that's all out the window you have no idea where this sentence is going and you have no idea what this phrase actually refers back to actually when you when you re when i read it and i get to the end of the sentence i have no idea what i've just read <laughs> Uh, it, yes, it's it can difficult. be very confusing. It is very confusing. So it's interesting because at the you know during the 17th century that was quite a time for really the flowering of early science, people making observations of phenomena, um, the beginnings of the scientific method. It wasn't really though until the second quarter of the 18th century where you begin to see grammars being written for people that actually say okay, this is what English grammar is. Now, they were kind of making that up based on what they knew, and they were trying to impose logic on it from, say, Latin, some from mathematics. They're trying to impose logic on something that was pretty loose. <laughs> I've, I've never found any logic at all in English language. <laughs> well, you know, Latin is highly logical, they tell me, um, and and they really wanted to impose that kind of thing on English. So you would you began to get certain rules and things, but these didn't really proliferate until the third quarter of the 18th century. Mm -hmm. So people began to think about how they spoke, and again, they're starting to think, well, how can I differentiate myself from this person who can now dress a lot like me? And these grammar books were meeting that need. They were allowing people to say, well, what is correct speech? They were, that was a question people began to really ask. What is correct? What is clear? What is concise? Sort of, sort of curious that uh, the idea, the ideas of the American Revolution were mostly formed in Williamsburg from people whose names we all know. Mm -hmm. And the idea of English as we know it was mostly formed in Williamsburg by people we've never heard of. <laughs> it's, it's two completely different revolutions. And it all came together at about the same time. So the idea of being able to really be clear, understood, and be able to sway people by your speech uh, all came together and really served early America very well. Let us know what you think about the program. Leave your feedback at history.org slash podcasts. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Check history.org often. We'll post more for you to download and hear. <laughs>